If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 4. We continue our study of this wonderful gospel. We are jumping in, uh, especially if you're visiting with us, we're, we're jumping into a conversation started at the beginning of this chapter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, or the woman at the well. Last week we began this conversation recognizing that Jesus himself stated that he had to go to this village. There were different paths, different options, different directions he could have taken to get from Judea to Galilee, but he said he had to pass through Samaria. We noted how that was more than mere coincidence, for Jesus knew that this woman would be present at the well at this time of day with a need for water. And by that need, he began a conversation with her. A conversation that, that cultivated an offer. Oh, if you would ask of me, I would give you living water and you would not thirst again. Ultimately, what Jesus was offering this woman was himself. He was offering her a way to forgiveness, a way to eternal life, everlasting life. But she wasn't getting it, was she? Again and again, she was fixated on this idea of, of water that stopped thirst and water that would not run out. She is showing her ignorance in a, in a couple of ways. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't throw up his hands and go, well, I tried. <laughs> That's unfortunate. As we continue the conversation this morning, we, we will see that Jesus presses even harder on this woman. He reveals more and more to her that she might know He and He alone is the way to eternal life. And praise God that He does. Praise God that He doesn't stop when we show signs of ignorance. Because uh, how many of us wouldn't have made it very far? How many of us would have been done at the beginning? I certainly would be. But God does not cease with us. He pursues us. He goes after us. And as we will see this morning, the truth of what Jesus Christ proclaims has dramatic effects. With that being said, please follow along with me. I'm going to pick up in the narrative I'm starting in verse 16 and I'm going to read down to the 26th verse. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me? What a remarkable proclamation by Jesus Christ, O Lord. That we may even hear that this morning. It should bring joy to our hearts and cause us to overflow with gladness that the Messiah has come. The one who has called Christ that will reveal truth to the people of God that they may worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We come before you this morning, Lord, asking that you, by the power of your Spirit, would accept our worship, that it would be pleasing unto you, that with new eyes and new ears and new hearts we might receive your word, and by doing so our lives may be changed. We thank you for this time, O Lord. We ask it for your glory and for our good, and we pray in the only name that we can pray, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many scholars divide this narrative, the story of the woman at the well, into three sections. Last week we covered part one. And if you titled the divides, they often title last week water because of the conversation of water. That's what it was about. They both came to the well wanting water. This week we find the middle section, which is commonly referred to as worship or truth. Worship or truth. You see, it's not just a conversation about our physical needs, but the spiritual realities. What is really going on in our lives and around us and and how we perceive and understand that which we observe. And then, Lord willing, next week we will come again to this chapter and we will see the third section, which is often titled Witness. Witness, when you rightly understand Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ and what He offers, and when you receive that which He offers, you will then, by consequence, share that with others. You will not be able to help it. It will be inescapable. And if you've been with us through this series, you've heard me give those words before, right? The truth of the gospel, when received, will lead to evangelism. This is a theme that John repeats over and over and over again in his gospel because it is true. It really is amazing, isn't it, how truth changes how we live our lives. There's a, a, a common saying that I disagree with completely. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. It's, it's common nowadays. If I don't know, I can't be held responsible. Well, that's a terrible ideology anyway. But me, personally, I would rather know the truth, even if it's hard. I would, never, I would rather know reality. I would like to know things as they are and face the challenges because of it than to live in darkness. And praise God for this Samaritan woman, Jesus does not leave her in darkness, for He exposes to her truth. And so we will look at our passage this morning to see how Jesus exposes truth. 
He does it in three ways this day. First, he does it by speaking the truth. We see that in our first section. Secondly, he reveals the truth. He brings understanding. He illuminates. And then finally, he calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's begin by seeing how Jesus speaks the truth. Again, we, we jump into this narrative midstream and we realize the woman is not getting it. She's missing the idea. Jesus is trying to help her see the truth and yet she's not really hearing what he's saying. And so he tries a different tactic and, and you may find this a complete diversion. You might find yourself going, Jesus, that was a little out of left field for him to say to her, well, then go call your husband. But you see, this woman needed to understand truth. And there was a truth in her life. There was a reality of her life that not everybody knew. And really what it comes down to is that either this woman does not see Jesus as one with authority, or she's not understanding what he's offering. And it's probably a bit of both. That's great that you offer water that leads to eternal life. That's nice that you say that, but how do you have the authority to offer that? Where does it come from? Where does the power of your word come from? And so he asks her, well, bring your husband. Because Jesus is about to reveal truth. And, and she answers, and she answers truthfully. Jesus says so. She says to him, I have no husband. That is true. Sort of. <laughs> Jesus says, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now normally in sermons, and I've certainly preached this text in this way, we would go into a long discussion on um, promiscuity, on adultery, on various forms of infidelity. But I read something this week that, that challenged that notion in my mind. It was entirely possible that this woman was incredibly unlucky and she has married five men and all of them have died. I don't know why you would want to been the sixth guy. But it's possible. We can't rule it out. And so I want to, I want to be very gracious to this woman. I, I want to be very careful that we don't go into this and go, well, you're the woman in town. No one wants their husband around because they may be the next one on the list. But at the same time, we cannot ignore what Jesus plainly says. The one that you're with now is not your husband. She has a live-in boyfriend after five husbands at this point. And normally at this point, we would also bring up, she's getting water at the sixth hour of the day at noon. That was the absolute worst time to go get water. No one that was thinking rationally would have been at the well during that hour unless you were the woman in town that everybody whispered about. Is she killing off her husbands? Is, um, are they just really bad choices? What's going on? I, I, you know, you would still come to that conclusion. I don't know if I want my husband around her or, or a young son or anything like that. I don't want anything to happen to them. But we know she is not living in the way that she ought to live. 
She has had five husbands and she's living with a man now that's not her husband. She's at the well at an, at an unusual time. And I don't know if we can come to the right answer on how all of that plays out, but here's what we do know. What does Jesus demonstrate in that interaction? Truth. Jesus, who's never met her before, has never interacted with her before, He knows her life. He lays it out there. And, and how many of us would, would welcome that conversation? We're at a gas station, or, or we're somewhere, we're at a store, and, um, and you had to do a lot of pretending here, but Jesus comes up, hey, how's it going? And we have a conversation, and it realizes that Jesus is trying to witness to us, and we're not really getting it, and he's like, well, you know, when you were 14, uh, you went into this store, and you stole a pair of tennis shoes, and you walked out of the store, and you lied to your mother about how you got it, all that you could brag to your friends uh, that you got these new shoes and how cool you are. That'd get your attention, wouldn't it? If Jesus started to talk to you and he started laying out the major sin in your life and said, you want some truth? Here's some truth. I know you. That'd get your attention. And you'd probably listen to what comes next, wouldn't you? She certainly does. Jesus demonstrates divine knowledge while also exposing a deep emptiness in this woman's life. She's on her sixth man. She's trying to fill something. There's a void in her life and it doesn't seem to be filled. She cannot seem to figure it out. She's got a longing, a craving for something to give her security, to give her peace, to give her rest, to give her contentment. And she hasn't found it yet. And Jesus exposes in this conversation, in this brief statement to her, go call your husband, that he understands. And why does Jesus understand because the only thing that will fit in that slot is himself. He's the only thing that will fill the hole, the void, the emptiness. It's not husbands. She could go five more. She could go for ten and would not find happiness, contentment, peace. But Jesus speaks the truth to her. He reveals that he knows her, that he understands her, that she should listen to him. That this is not just witty banter about water. This is not some playful interaction. If we look at the 139th Psalm, verses 23 and 24, and this Psalm as a whole is a wonderful prayer, but it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. How many of us have been praying that regularly lately? Hey God, can you let me know if I'm dealing with sin in my life? Can you expose to me my shortcomings, my places of emptiness where I'm not living up to your standard, where I'm missing the mark? Can you bring them to the light so that I can see them and repent of them? That's not a prayer we often undertake. And yet I would challenge you, I would challenge all of us this morning, isn't it better to be exposed to Jesus who can heal us and forgive us than to hide our sin and be accepted by the world? Sometimes the body has to be cut open. In surgeries, it's not uncommon in, in um, 
surgery is dealing with bones, for a bone to be broken in order to be fixed. Or tendons, for that matter. I know it's the case of the patellar. And while none of us would, would ask, oh, please, doctor, break my bone, please, if it would lead to healing, wouldn't you accept it? If it led to a stronger body, wouldn't you willingly allow that to take place? Wouldn't you rather be cut open that you might be healed? Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus got out the scalpel and he cut, and he cut deep. You don't have a husband. You've had husbands, and you've got a man now that's not your husband. Now listen to me. And so now that he has spoken the truth, he reveals the truth. And we see this in our second section here. And I know you understand this, or maybe you do. When you're in an argument with someone, and, or you're talking about a topic, and you, you kind of get put in a corner, and so you bring in something new, new information. You're like, aha, I'm going to get back on top. I'm going to get back where I'm winning. I'm going to pull in this piece, and they're not going to know what to do with it. And so the, the, this is what the Samaritan woman does. Jesus cuts. He cuts deep, right? He, he gets to the heart of her issue. And so she's like, oh, okay, um, we got we to gotta get off base here. We got to get to another area. I don't like where this is going. So Jesus, um, what do you know about mountains? <laughs> she at least acknowledges, I perceive you're a prophet. You have divine knowledge. You have understanding from God. She's not ready to submit her life to him. She doesn't say, give me that water. Give me eternal life. But she does at least understand that he is knowledgeable about spiritual matters. And so in order to get the topic off of her and, and onto something else, she, she says, well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, that is the place where people ought to worship. She's saying, I too am a person of understanding. I know some things as well, Jesus. We Samaritans believe we're in the right. They, the Samaritans, they established their temple on Mount Gerizim around 388 B.C. In the days around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember, the Samaritans refused to rejoin the people. Instead, they intermarried with the Assyrians and formed really their own people, their own culture. They got a copy of the Torah and they saw themselves on equal footage. In the Samaritans' eyes, we're doing what you Jews are doing. There's nothing wrong with us. But the Jews would say in response, well, God told us to worship here on this mountain. Not Gerizim, but Zion. And so we're worshiping where God told us to worship. We're right and you're wrong. That's a long-standing debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so she's not ignorant of theological matters. And let me just say here really quickly before we get to Jesus' response. On the one level, Jesus is dealing with one woman. Jesus is ministering to and revealing himself to the Samaritan woman. But there's something else that we cannot miss, and you have to step back to miss it. This is also a rebuke, a critique of Samaritans. He's said, you've had multiple husbands. The one you're with now is not your husband. What was the Samaritan's sin? You've worshipped a lot of people, and they're not me. 
You've had a lot of gods, and you're still not getting it right. You're not submitting to me. It's a rebuke of the Samaritan way, of their lifestyle, of their mindset. So Jesus, while critiquing this woman, is also critiquing a nation. But don't miss, while that is true, he's still addressing this woman. Jesus is a personal God, a God who cares about us individually. And so he's able to do both. And I love what Jesus does here. He did the same thing to Nicodemus. The woman brings up a theological point. Well, Jesus, is it Gerizim or is it Zion? Who is right? And she wants to, to, to you know, argue with him, and he completely ignores it. <laughs> Just like with Nicodemus. Nicodemus asking a question, Jesus gets to the gospel. This woman asking a question, Jesus gets to the gospel. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do. Salvation is from the Jews. Two parts here to make sense of. If worship is not for Gerizim and it's not for Zion, then where is it? People of God are called to worship God where we are. It's with our lives. It's when we gather in corporate worship like the Lord's Day today. But it's also tomorrow when you get to work it's also on Thursday as you um, hopefully gather with your families and, and celebrate. God calls us to worship Him not at a place, but as a people. At the death of Jesus Christ, it's significant, the temple curtain was torn top to bottom. That curtain separated in the temple the holies from the holy of holies where God's presence was said to dwell. What did that signify? We no longer have to have a mediator to have access to God, for Jesus is that mediator. We can now come in His presence freely. And so Jesus says here, the mountain's irrelevant. It's coming. It doesn't matter. That's the one thing we have to untangle. The second one is this. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So he tells her it doesn't matter, and then he says, but we're right. So how do you reconcile that? Well, easily. What was Jesus? A Jew. Where did salvation come from? Jesus. So where did it come from? The Jews. If you want a, a, a bigger answer, Jesus approached the Jewish people and said, you are my people. From you will I make my message, will proclaim my truth. The Jews were supposed to then share it with the world. They failed in that, and so Jesus comes and says, I'll now go to the Gentiles, for you did not do what I asked you to do. But the Jews are often called God's people over and over again in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is taking what... She should know. He's taking the knowledge she has and is helping her understand it. He's bringing truth to the knowledge she has. See how he's revealing truth to her? And there's a lot we could unpack from this, and, and then there's far more discussion than we have time for this morning. But let me just make this point of application. Because of what we read in this passage, we conclude... God determines how, when, and why we worship Him. God determines how, when, and why we worship Him. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
We worship Him with our very lives, with every breath that we have. Why do we worship Him? Because He and He alone is worthy. Not because we're a Jew, not because we're a Samaritan, not because we're a Gentile, not because we're on this mountain, not because we're on that mountain, not because it's this time of the year, not because it's this day of the week, but because He and He alone is worthy of our worship. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. And that would have been radical thinking. Radical thinking. Jesus has not even made it to the cross yet. So put yourself in her context. This is, this is world-changing news, what Jesus is revealing here. Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament. It's not that He came to bring us something different. Rather... He came to reveal Himself through what has been said, what has been promised, and what has been prophesied. We see a case being built. We see the intensity being upped, right? Uh, the conversation started about water, and then it got into the, the heart of the sin of this woman, and then it became a, a discussion of worship, and it's really pushing, pushing, pushing to the point that we're at right now. You can feel the pressure where it's ultimately about Jesus. And that's what we see here in our third section and you can almost imagine the engagement and interest the woman's giving at this point, right? You know, when the conversation was about living water, she was interested, but she's not getting it, so she's probably not that focused or not that engaged or, or not that intentional. And uh, he tells her, like, go call your husband. She's perked up now, but then he's, he gets to this point, and he's like, you've got to worship me in spirit and in truth. And you almost feel the woman on the edge of her seat, and Jesus, He drives it home. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship God by His power and through His strength, as He prescribes. He doesn't note Jews. He doesn't note Gentiles. He doesn't note Samaritans. He notes worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit there very well could be the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of worship that God calls for. Worship that understands who He is. Worship that accepts His sacrifice, Jesus Christ's sacrifice, on our behalf. Worship that is an overflow of joy, of gratitude for what has been done. And then it, it, it's reaching its apex here in the conversation where the, the woman looks at Him and you can almost feel it in the, in the words itself. There's probably a tremble in her voice. I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. You can see it in her brain, right? This man offered me living water, 
He said, it's water that will lead to eternal life. No one else has offered me living water. He understood my life better than I understood my life. He has proclaimed something that no one outside of this village has any understanding of me, and yet he didn't shy away from me. He shouldn't talk to me as a Samaritan woman. He shouldn't talk to me as a prophet. He has no right to speak to me in the middle of the day like this. I'm too far beneath him. He said, we've got to worship God in spirit and in truth, and the mountain doesn't matter. The location doesn't matter. We've got to worship God in the right way because he and he alone is worthy and there's only one person who can make that statement and that's if the Messiah says so. He's the one that will speak truth. You can see all of these things converging for this woman to this one point. One of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. I who speak to you am he. All of those thoughts, all of those threads woven together to this one point. There you go. You finally figured it out. Took you long enough. Jesus wouldn't have said that, but I would have. You know it. Like, Hello, I've been saying this for 15 verses or 25 verses. Where you been? One of the few people in the entirety of the New Testament, Jesus says plainly as he can, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I made a note here in my sermon, and I know you'll appreciate this. I said to say to you, oh, that we had another hour. <laughs> because from this point forward, it gets really good. From this point, between this verse, 26, and 27 to 42, everything changes. Everything changes. She received this truth. She believes this truth. And my encouragement to you this week, go home and keep reading. Don't even wait for next Sunday. Because when that happens, when an understanding of who God is, when the truth of the Scriptures are revealed, we will be compelled to share it. She runs back to the village, back to the people that shun her, back to the people that don't want her around, back to those former husbands if they're not dead. They're probably in the village. you got to come see this man. He's told me everything I've ever done. And they're thinking, oh boy, we were part of that. But then it's not just her life that's changed because the narrative continues. What ends up happening? The town sees revival. The truth of who God is and what He has done has a transformative effect. Many of us here today know that because we have felt that effect. We know what it means for Jesus Christ to change hearts and change lives because He's changed ours. And maybe you're here today and He's not. You have not surrendered your life to Christ. You have not yielded to Him. Maybe you're like this woman. You've got a big hole in your life and you're trying to fill it and you're filling it with all sorts of things. Work, pleasure, busyness, laziness. There's all sorts of things you can try to fill that hole with. But I'm here to tell you the only piece of the puzzle that will fit is Jesus. And until then, you will not know peace. I just want to conclude this morning with a challenge for us. It is present in my eyesight, in my, in my eye, and in my mind. We are preparing to send out these almost 300 Operation Christmas Child boxes. The sermon that we've heard today says the truth of Jesus Christ can transform and change lives. With every box that goes forth, and ours will join many, many others around the world 
those little ones will receive something, a gift, a treat, a toy. But more than that, to receive that box, they've got to hear the gospel presented. Would you join with me in praying that what happened for the Samaritan woman would happen for these little children? That the lives of these children would be transformed by the truth of the gospel. And that by that transformation, the world would be changed. One woman receives the gospel and a whole town comes to know Jesus. How much more will that happen if thousands of boxes go around the world and the gospel goes with it? How much more so will that happen for us today who's heard it? You have heard the truth. My prayer is and will be that you and I be transformed. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, we need Your truth. The truth of Your Word. There are so many things in this life that we can use to fill the void. And they will not satisfy. They will not last. Like Jesus told of the woman, if you drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. If you seek this pleasure, you're going to seek it again. If you chase this thing, you're going to keep chasing it over and over again. The only place you can go to find peace, rest, contentment, joy, thanksgiving, is in and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh, that that would be the reality for everyone here. And Father, I do pray for each one of these boxes. I pray for the boxes that they will join. I pray for the teams that will be heading out in the coming weeks and months for distribution. Would the gospel go forth in power? Would the gospel go forth in power and the truth of Jesus Christ change hearts and change lives? And by those lives being changed, would the world itself be changed? We know that you call your people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. May it be so, O Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity to take part in it. Lord, we thank you for your word and the truth it contains. We ask that you would use it for our lives this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.